in the morning when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my fucking ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My fucking ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother Rip them suckers like the fucking players. The Las Vegas Aces snapped a four-game home losing streak by beating the Indiana Fever last night, 90-77. to Indiana is 5-24, uh, yes. so not a whole lot notable to beat the Indiana Fever for the Aces. Asia Wilson had 23. Uh, but if you look at uh, WNBA standings right now, the Aces are currently the two-seed at 19-8. They're a game and a half behind Chicago. They're a game and a half ahead of Connecticut for the three seed uh we are closing in on i think we are at about 15 games left in the season for the aces and key detail the WNBA playoff format changed this year it is no longer the one and two seeds get a bye straight to the semis and the three and four get a bye to the quarters everybody starts in the quarters one will play eight two will play seven and so on so there's not as big of a difference. Last last year, the difference between the two seed and the three seed right. was massive because you went straight to the semis if you were the two. Now, it's home court advantage in the second round or in the in the sem or in the finals or whatever. That's still important, but it's less important to be the two or the three. But right now, they're the two seed, which gives them a legitimate path to the finals. But defensively, I don't know how much you've paid attention to the Aces. A bit. Yeah. They've been god awful defensively. Before last night, their last eleven games since June twenty first, they were eleventh in defensive rating yeah. in the WNBA. Which is, I mean, I'm kind of surprised at the beginning of the year where I watched them a little bit more when I had time to. They were they started in the top half of the league in defensive oh, rating, yeah. they were, and then it just they completely were, think, dropped fourth or off. Fifth for the first uh, fifteen games or right. whatever that number was start the season, and the last eleven just. Like, awful. Like, yeah. they've been just ba a bad defensive team. I do wonder how much of that... I mean, look, we see this in throughout regular seasons from good teams, right? Where you start to take the foot off the pedal and you focus on what you think is important. They're a very good offensive team. And there's a lot of focus on that end of the floor. And maybe it gets a little bit better by the time you get to the postseason. Um, we see that from time to time. Flipping the switch, I think is what they call it, right? I don't know if there's a, a switch to be flipped, but you can be ninth best right in terms of defensive rating i think there's a little bit more there for them we saw it to give them some right. credit they if they're going to win the title they need to play as a top half defensive team yeah. it'd be fifth or sixth but they need to play as a top half team because their offense has been so good that they can they don't have to be great defensively but they can't be terrible mm -hmm. they can't be just awful defensively and the thing i'm curious to see scheme wise what happens when they play in a series they play the same team three five seven times in a row maybe they're all five i don't think there's a seven game series but that'd be dope what happens then because what the aces generally do in the regular season is they they play a hard hedge on ball screens and they send a help defender to cut off the roll man going to the mm -hmm. paint that's one of the big reasons they give up threes they double in the paint a lot that's a big reason they give up open threes I wonder if they'll change that when they get into a specific series against a specific team. I assume there will be, but a lot of this I think is scheme related and they give up open threes because of the way they're playing. Yeah. I mean, look, so look, I'm a big NBA guy and like it, they are playing NBA basketball to a certain extent, but to your point, like when you're talking about defending other teams, like just go, like who cares? Right, win the math game. Don't give up the threes and especially corner threes. If they want to, if your opponents want to get to the basket, 
like consistently, go ahead, keep doing it because we're going to keep shooting threes. We're going to make them and we're going to come out on top more often than not because we're winning that battle. I am somewhat surprised by that. And I would assume there would be some sort of change. Hammond's done a really good job. And she has shown that I think that there are going to be schematic changes once they get to the once they get to the postseason, and I would assume that would be part of it. Next question. Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, wants UCLA to explain why they are leaving the Pac-12. And and the governor of Nevada, according to somebody's dad. Uh, this is okay. a quote from Newsom. UCLA must clearly explain to the public how this deal will improve the experience for all its student athletes will honor its century-old partnership with UC Berkeley and will preserve the histories, rivalries, and traditions that enrich our communities. Who cares? Do you believe UCLA <laughs> just needs to show a check yes. from the Big Ten and I, say, here we go, this is why we're doing it? So it's funny because before I read your rundown, I read this story, and that was my exact thought, but like, money? <laughs> it's pretty simple, Gavin. Like, I don't think we really need to explain anything at this point. And tradition, and like, who, like I don't know, man. Because we can't play Stanford somewhat regularly. I don't know if I really like this for UCLA. Like, who, who cares? I I genuinely enjoy these stories, and they happen almost every time there's some sort of conference realignment where some, some part of government in a state will be like, wait a minute, we're going to stop this from happening. And then they realize, oh, we can't actually stop this from happening. We're just going to complain about it and tell them they need to publicly explain how they're going to make... Five times the amount of money in the Big Ten as they would in the falling apart Pac-12. So this is my favorite part of Newsom's quotes, right? Uh, quote, I read about it. Is it a good idea? Did we have a chance to discuss the merits of the decision? <laughs> yes, we did. Money. <laughs> it was done without re, uh, regental oversight or support. It was done without any consideration, to my knowledge. Again, money <laughs> what are we, and again like and that's where to your point about like with these government officials don't get involved and i don't know if newsom's like a sports guy the other part of it too is when you're joining a conference like that especially when you're getting to the table with these power conferences that are clearly forming yes it's great for you because aside from money it's exposure because now you're not missing the boat like a bunch of these programs are ucla must clearly explain how this deal will improve the experience for all its student athletes yeah, we're going to have nicer facilities than we've ever had before. And our football team might actually play for a football championship at some point because the Pac-12 can't do that. I mean, I guess, is is he trying to make the argument of, like, all of the sports for UCLA? Like, is that what he's trying to say? Yes, you know, how does this help the field hockey team? Will think, that money trickle down? part of the deal is they're chartering every team for every game. Right. So, so like, they get to fly on a nice plane now. Yeah, it's a little longer because you got to go to Maryland once a year. But. Right. But like, there you go. Okay, this is how it does. Like, I, I don't know. It seems weird. It seems one of kind of like those power plays you're talking about where the government official at some point just got to like stand in front of the steamroller and just be like, no, I'm doing <laughs> something about this. And then he's just going to get squashed and they'll move on. Do you think they should get one of those giant novelty checks and just say right. in the memo for Governor Newsom? <laughs> No. Oh, how about this? Put them in one of those big boxes that blow the money like all around and just be like, like, this is why, dude, here. Like, have at it. Great question. The 49ers have given Jimmy Garoppolo permission to seek a trade. Uh, my question was like, now? That took until July? They, they weren't doing this already? Well, you they, that's it, though, right? They were. They were. Oh, they were. Okay. They couldn't find they it. Could, so and they were like, Jimmy, you do it, man. Because nobody wants to take on your $24 million. So sure, maybe if you want to look, right, go ahead. Like, maybe if your agent can woo them, then, like, maybe. But, like, we, we can't find anything. And it, to me, I actually, that goes back to the question for me. 
if you're Seattle, who for some reason thinks they have a roster that's worth playing like really hard for, uh, if you're even Cleveland, who signed the Rosen one yesterday, right? Uh, if you're any of these teams who feel like they have a window to maximize and Jimmy Garoppolo can be that guy, collusion is a bad word. But why would you not all sit back and go, force them to cut them? Why am I going to ship off assets, even if they eat a chunk of the $24, $25 million? Why am I shipping off any assets whatsoever for that kind of a price tag? And a guy who, by the way, you look at some of the numbers from turnover-worthy plays, things like that, might not actually maximize your roster the the, the way that you think he will. Do you think they'd cut him? So, Michael Lombardi, former NFL executive who works with me over at VSIN, um says that there's essentially a little bit of a timeline and that by the time they reach training camp to avoid that hitting their books, that there's a pretty good opp- there's a pretty good chance that they actually will. Like, they'll eat that and cut him. So I, I think there is something there. Because here, like, here's the thing, too, that I think works against them. If you keep him on your roster, and we just talked about Trey Lance, and you break camp with him, and you're getting closer, and Lance has a pretty poor preseason, and you're going in with questions, like, that doesn't help the situation at all to have a guy who's you know, given all of his flaws, they did two NFC championship games, the Super Bowl, and is what is it, like 31 and 14 as a starter, whatever it is, just sitting there making $24 million and sitting behind Trey Lance. Like, I think they're in a bad spot. But if I'm the 49ers, I think I want that insurance. Like, sure, it might not be ideal for Trey Lance, but the 49ers aren't, like, god-awful. They could go back to the NFC championship game again. They, they, they could, but they also shipped off a crap ton of assets for Trey Lance. Yeah, but what if he, if he sucks? He sucks. All right, right. what are you just going to not have a quarterback? Then you got to start finding a whole new quarterback at some point. Note to podcast listeners, please text me or tweet at me, whatever, because I'm pretty sure Tyler in this exact same show has said that the 49ers were terrible and they made it. They did say that. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. they are terrible. Actually, that was like how we went out of out to break in like 10 minutes ago. Yeah, and he just said they're not that bad. No, look, I I mean, he just had two different opinions in less than 20 minutes. You should make that a rejoin. Um, Two. No, like I like at the end of the day, I think if you're a franchise, you're you need to see if the guy that you shipped off multiple first round picks for to move up to get is the guy. Right, you start him, but if you're one in five and he sucks, yeah. But if but then think about that, you're one in five in the NFC West with you know a team like the Rams at the top, in an NFC that's got a lot of noise in the middle. It's probably hard to make up ground in terms of making the playoffs. Like. Like, I just think you turn, you cannot pull the plug on a quarterback that you shipped off that much for six games into a season. I mean, you can. Right. You absolutely you, can. You can. It's a possibility. But yeah. if you're talking about positive development for your franchise, you can't. Yeah, but if he sucks that bad, then there is no positive development. But like, I don't, like, he's just going to, like, I don't even really think he's going to suck that we're, bad. I think he's just like, going to be like some middling guy where you see flashes and we knew he was going to be a developmental dude. I just don't think it benefits him in any way whatsoever to keep him on the roster. I would. Free Subway. You also think who is going to win a Super Bowl for the Huntley. Ravens? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. All right. I just, I need to, like, talk through this story because I had to read it, like, six times in The Athletic to actually comprehend it here. But the owner of the Oilers, the Edmonton Oilers, has been accused of paying an underage girl for sex, but I, I'm I'm Jesus. I'm just gonna re- I'm just gonna read this because it's the way that he got accused is kind of unbelievable. In a lawsuit earlier this month in U.S. District Court, can I just say appropriate background music for a story like this? Yes. Yeah. A number of ballerinas say they were sexually abused by dance teacher Mitchell Taylor and his wife Dusty, a well-known ballerina and former principal member. Of the Boston Ballet. 
Katz, the owner of the Oilers, was not named in the initial suits by the ballerinas. The couple, the dance teacher couple, filed a counterclaim claiming they were in a consensual relationship with one of the ballerinas, which began when she turned 18. And as a part of their counterclaim, they included as an exhibit text messages that indicate an exchange between Katz, the Oilers owner, and one of the ballerinas that suggest Katz was having money sent to her bank account. So to quickly summarize that, ballerinas sue dance teacher couple saying they were sexually abused. Dance teacher couple says, no, no, no. We waited until this ballerina was we 18. Waited. We were good. For to have a threesome with her or whatever they did. But we know the owner of the Oilers was paying her for sex before she was 18. What? Rich people are gross. Well, yeah. Um, but it's also, I, there's like reading the story, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of legal ground to stand on, like in terms of actually accusing of this and something coming of it. And it also, I mean. Wow. Huh. There are, Jared's <laughs> running away from the mic. There are text messages from the Oilers owner, supposedly, to one of these dancers. Right. That basically says he's giving her $50,000 and another $25,000. So $75,000. However, there is never stated in any of these text Correct. messages what the money is for. There is never a, ah. a request, never a mention of any sex, anything like that. It's just, here's $50,000. we are also going to give you $25,000. Well, that's, spend it on yourself. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you're if you're talking about this legally, like one of the texts is, "You're perfect sage." That's what scares me. Even though you are wise beyond your years, given our respective ages, it would be taken the wrong way. Like, they're also trying to coordinate a time to meet in New York again. Like, you can infer right. a lot from that. Right. But if you're talking about beyond a reasonable doubt to convict a dude, I don't know what you're getting from this. Besides well, these these the buttons trying to pass the pass the buck. Right. I it's I hey. cannot. <laughs> I could I, I had to read those three paragraphs like four times to fully comprehend that the reason he's in the Oilers owners in the news is because some dance teacher couple is like, wait a minute, we didn't sexually abuse anybody. We waited until she turned eighteen and then they again, they were in a consensual I it was I don't that's crazy. Like that's one of the weirdest things I've ever read. And I don't even know what happens here. I don't know what's next because that's just bizarre Ugh. to me. All right, coming up next. We jump into the NBA. I think it's it's one thing to publicly not acknowledge it, but clearly behind the scenes, he's not really realizing like if anyone trades for you, it is because of your contract and, and them wanting to get off money and get an asset from the Lakers. It is not because they want you to be the face of the franchise. They want you to be the starting point guard. Like any team that takes him on is facilitating clearing their, their cap sheet. You're listening to the Press Box Summer Edition. John Von Tobel in studio this morning for Ed Graney, who's out at Raiders training camp. We'll catch up with Ed in about 40 minutes live from Henderson. Uh, so JVT's in, which means I want to pepper him with some NBA questions. Is Donovan Mitchell going to be traded this offseason? I'll say like 77.2% yes. Okay. Where to? New York. Okay. Nowhere they're, else? Oh, they're desperate. I mean, Miami's in the running as well. They have a potential young player, depending on how you value Tyler Hero. If you read reports, uh, the Heat, or the Heat, uh, the Jazz are not as high on Tyler Hero as, like, 
Quentin Grimes and Obi Toppin and the other young players they might get from the New York Knicks. It also depends on what report you read. One report said that multiple NBA executives think R.J. Barrett's a better prospect, and then I got to talk to people down at the summer league like, Tyler Hero's way better. So You know what I mean? So <laughs> it, it all depends on what you read and everything. The dip, But the difference between Miami and New York, however you want to quibble about the value of the packages, one of those teams is desperate to land a dude, and it's not the Miami Heat. So if the Knicks get Donovan Mitchell, what are the Knicks? The seventh seed. <laughs> That's it. The play-in. <laughs> right, no, seriously, like so, they missed they missed the play in by I think what like six games, something in that range. Might have even been a little bit more. Um, keep in mind for those who don't remember, that's the tenth seed that they missed out on by quite a few games. Um, no, like look, Donovan Mitchell is a really dynamic offensive player, and he's shown out in playoff performances from a scoring perspective. He is a traffic cone on defense. He is not good in any way whatsoever. He, along with the rest of the Utah Jazz perimeter defenders, were so bad that uneducated basketball fans were blaming Rudy Gobert All for Rudy the failures. Gobert's right. 100%. When, they, they, when you watch a highlight, one of my favorite highlights, I'll, I'll show it for you because I think I have it saved on my Twitter account. There is, I think it's Spencer Dinwiddie in their series with the Mavericks. Dinwiddie catches the ball at the top of the key, and it's just him and Donovan Mitchell. And Donovan Mitchell just dry humps him really quick and allows him to get to the basket for like with no resistance in any way whatsoever. He's awful. So you have him as a poor defender. You have Jalen Brunson, who's a fine player, but that's a, that's a severely undersized and lackluster defensive backcourt. Okay, So you're going to be really good offensively. Sure, maybe. Uh, but at the same time, you're going to be really poor at the point of attack defensively. You're going to sacrifice some of your depth right, to go and get these guys and some of your young depth at that. They're, and think about the rest of the Eastern Conference. It looks like the Nets are going to have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on their roster and that they're going to play. So we have the Celtics, the Bucks, the Nets, the Sixers, the Raptors, the Hawks, the Cavaliers, right? That's just seven teams already that and would rate – and the Heat. Okay, that's eight teams that already rate better than the New York Knicks from a power rating standpoint. So they're not going to be very good. So 10 seed. I mean, they'll fight for it. I mean, think about it, too. I mean, like, no, Charlotte's, Charlotte's locked into a play-in game. It doesn't matter what they do. Right. They're locked into They're going to get destroyed game. in that play-in <laughs> game. But, yeah, like, they're going to get into a play-in. Yeah, and that doesn't include, like, you know, a team on the, on the come is the Detroit Pistons. The Pistons have a really good young core that look like they could push for a play-in this year as well. Like, it's... They are desperate to put a guy up on a billboard. That's what it is. And like you laugh, but it's true, right? I, I always tell this story. I think I don't know if I've told you guys this story, but like I, when I got to go to New York for like some, this this business thing, right? I come out of Penn Station, and it was years ago, it was 2017 or 2000. What year is my son born? 2018, and it was the year that LeBron was entering free agency. And there's a big sign up, and it says, "LeBron, if you think you're the king of New York, come and prove it." They've gone from challenging LeBron to come to New York and prove how good he is, to hoping they get Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, to hoping they win the lottery to get Zion Williamson, to yeah, we'll ship off a bunch of assets to get Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson as our core. Like it's it's ridiculous. They're desperate for the dude. So on the Utah side of things, they trade Rudy Gobert for an unbelievable amount of picks. Mm-hmm. If they trade Donovan Mitchell here, what are they doing? Just deciding that duo, that team wasn't actually going to do it and trying to start over? Yeah, like that, that team, I think anybody who watched the NBA, I think we all realize like that team reached its, its ceiling. It's second round. It's built around Rudy Gobert defensively and hoping Donovan Mitchell bails you out, but they weren't beating anybody. It, you saw like the antidote for that team was play five out and just destroy guys off dribble penetration. It worked for the Los Angeles Clippers who didn't have Kawhi Leonard. Remember, they were down two games in that series, and they still beat him without Kawhi. And then it happened last year. And Danny Inge has a track record of this. Remember his first year, 
shipped off everybody in Boston, got a whole bunch of assets, hired Brad Stevens to a long-term deal. It's what they did with their guy right now over at Utah, a Celtics assistant, by the way, right? And they're going to sit back, and they're going to ship off all the – and look, remember, too, some of the pieces they got. Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, at the trade deadline, those are going to be value, valuable assets for them. So they're going to get even more out of that deal with the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I think you sit around, and now you're like, cool, you got a bunch of assets. Remember, for the longest time, people come complaining that the Celtics weren't like using their draft picks to go and get guys. It's what Ainge does, and it's what he wants to do, and I think that's exactly what he's going to do with Utah. Uh, do you believe James Harden really took what was left over after he signed a two-year deal worth $68.6 million? <laughs> So I do, but this is my favorite part about Harden is, and I'm a big Harden fan, so I want to put that out there right now. I think people forget his first year in Brooklyn. He was an MVP candidate. He was freaking awesome, and I think we kind of forget how good he has been in recent memory. Uh, but having said that, yes, he took a pay cut, but he also signed a one-and-one. So like you play it, your right. Yeah. So like if he can it looks selfless now, but he also set himself up extremely well because if they flame out in the first round or get embarrassed in the second round, he can opt out and leave Philly and hanging and go wherever he wants. So like I think he did take whatever was left, right? And like there is a certain uh, I, I, you give him credit for what he did to try to get the best team around them, but at the same time, he's got a parachute that can get him out of there really quick if he doesn't like what happened this year. I I don't know exactly what I was expecting, but I was thinking like less than the the thirty three or thirty four million that he's getting. Like I was thinking, oh, he'll sign for I don't know twenty million or something right. like that, yeah. and it ends up being thirty four. Which great, he was what was he gonna make forty seven? Yeah, he was gonna make something if yeah. he had opted in. So it's I mean that's you know it's it's a significant cut. It's like a fifteen, but it's cut, like yeah. it's still like oh thirty four million. It's not like he took this massive pay cut to help the Sixers. Yeah, go trade for somebody else or sign somebody else. No, but to give him some credit, like. I like what they did. They're, they're going to be extremely good next year. You know, the, Tyrese Maxey's um, blow-up season last year, I think, is legitimate. So he is, arguably, he's actually their second-best offensive weapon outside of he Joel Embiid. And he was last, last year, year, right? And actually, and if Harden's your third-best guy, facilitator, scoring, that's actually a really good problem to have. So if that's the case, they needed defense, they needed shooting. And guess what? They got a bunch of it. De'Anthony Melton? Pretty good 3 and D type of player, and he's a guard, so you really need to back up guard depth. Uh, P.J. Tucker? 3D type of player is really going to help your depth out there. Uh, so, like, I think you really like what they did. Daniel House, same thing. So people are making fun of him because they're rebuilding, like, the 2018-2019 Rockets. But at the same time, Melton's a really good piece, and those are two guys that fill the needs for him. So, I like, I really like what they did. He does deserve some credit because because he did that, they were allowed to do what they did. The Sixers are the blank best team in the East. If the Nets are still together, even if the Nets are still there, I'll go third best team. Third best. Yeah. So Celtic. behind Boston and Milwaukee. Yeah, not in that order. So Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, if okay. we're ranking them. And then you'd put Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Nets yeah. four? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You hate the heat, don't you? Well, it's not, like we kind of saw it. Like it's If they're not going to do anything, although oh, maybe they need to be desperate for Donovan Mitchell. I mean, potentially, because they need another offensive outlet. I mean, Jimmy Butler with one leg was you know carried them almost to the NBA Finals. <laughs> um, but I will say, I don't know if you saw the picture of super yoked um, Kyle Lowry. If he's going to come, because I think what was lost on last year for Miami too, and that's why I wasn't really comfortable. There's a lot of Kyle Lowry bashing in the midst of the regular season. He missed in the range of 20 games for personal issues, whatever those were. He missed a lot of time and you don't know what goes on with the guy. They're humans. So he misses that. He's clearly overweight when he goes into the postseason. I, there's there's probably some upward mobility for them if Kyle Lowry's going to be a little bit better. All right. Coming up next, Monster Jam is in Vegas and Kayla Blood joins the show. No, it's just the Mac Collins mile, and it's definitely a little more than a mile, which tends to piss some people off, but uh, we get it, and we run it, and we shut up and just do it, and 
Some people cut corners and some people don't. Back to the Press Box Summer Edition. Monster Jam is in Las Vegas starting today out at the Thomas and Mac throughout the weekend. And joining us now, the driver of Soldier Fortune, Kayla Blood. Good morning, Kayla. How are you today? Good morning, guys. Thank you all for having me. We're here in Vegas, ready to get this event going for you guys. We're super excited to be back here in Vegas. Okay, so here's uh, my most, like, the thing I'm most interested in when we talk to anybody that does any sort of auto racing or motocross or Monster Jam. How do you even get into this? Like, at what age do you start driving and like, oh, I, I'm going to drive monster trucks? Well, for me, you know, I knew at a very young age that I was very hyper-competitive in everything I did, and it kind of started off on the track and field for me. And uh, I was a sprinter and a runner, and, you know, I grew up on ATVs, racing ATVs, so I just liked racing altogether. I liked racing the boys. I like beating the boys. And so, you know, growing up, I just involved myself and I pushed myself to do uh, racing, whether it be ATVs or, like I said, in anything in motorsports and anything, any opportunities that came up that I could do that I could get out there and race. And I would do it and take advantage of it because, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with the, the finances to actually, like, support racing and do all that fun stuff. So I had to do what I had to do, what, what, what I could. So that's what I did. And, um, you know, it's pretty awesome to be here where I am now in Monster Jam. I did do, I had an ATV background racing. I, I didn't start that till later on in my age, but like I said, I've always been super hyper competitive and, um, you know, everything I've done, honestly, I feel like it's kind of built me for Monster Jam and it's pretty cool because I've been in male-dominated sports most of my life and this is the pinnacle, you know, you come in here with these men and all these females are out there um, being successful and beating these guys and making the name for women in motorsports and i'm super excited to be a part of it so when it comes to monster jam people who are going to come out there uh walk us through the format and uh, how this is working and scored and and whatnot and what people are going to be out there rooting for uh, because you know you talk about competition i want to cheer for a winner and i want to be able to follow this so for people who are going to be out there how do they follow this format all right so we're gonna have four events this weekend and we're gonna have two pit parties for two of those events so they'll be before the event but after the pit parties, we get ready for the event. So our events are about two hours long, and within that event, we're going to have racing, um, two-wheel skills, a donut competition, and a freestyle competition. Now, it's pretty cool because the fans can actually be involved in the voting when it comes to your two-wheel skills competition, your donuts, and your freestyle. So we want everybody to get as involved as they want, as can and um, vote for your favorite driver because that's how you're going to help them win. So, like I said, we're going to start off with racing, and then after racing, um, the two-wheel fields competition has quickly became the favorite just because we get out there and we're practicing all these different moves and putting these 12,000-pound trucks on two wheels and, and balancing it and doing all kind of cool stuff. So that's usually a highlight. Everyone loves that. And like I said, who doesn't love donuts? And, uh, you know, freestyle is everybody's favorite. So you, you guys may or may not see a backflip this weekend, so you're going to have to come and find out. All right, hold on. Can you walk me through the first time you went on two wheels on a monster truck? Because I can't imagine that's something that's easy to do for the first time. Oh, my goodness, yes. It's, it's very um, it's exciting the first time. You know, the adrenaline is definitely pumping, but you're going to hit an obstacle. And, and literally, when you're, you're hitting this obstacle, you have to have the momentum and the speed to get your truck to go straight up and do a nice sky wheelie. And, uh, you know, it's so exhilarating and and whenever we're able to do backflips and people ask me, what is it like to do a backflip? 
You know, I'm like, you just got to be committed to running your truck into a wall and staying pinned. (laughs) (laughs) So if you are crazy enough to do that, then you are, you're good to go. So as somebody who, like, back in Monster Jam has come out here to Las Vegas for quite a bit, and I have gone to quite a few of these shows as well, especially when I was younger, uh, for somebody like me, we the one that sticks out, obviously, is Gravedigger, right? Like, that's the classic truck. Uh, like, is, is somebody who is not as involved in terms of Monster Jam, what are some of the more historical trucks out there? Because I think if you talk to people my age, you'll immediately uh, gravitate towards Gravedigger, but uh, there is yeah. a storied history here, no? Absolutely. You know, we have um, Gravedigger, we have Max, Maximum Destruction, he's um, 11-time world champ, Tom Mint. Um, he's super awesome. He won't be here this weekend, of course. But like you said, when it comes to those trucks, El Toro Loco has been a fan favorite for a very long time. And, um, so, you know, those are, those are definitely three of our trucks that stick out the most. And we have a Megalodon truck now. I don't know if you've ever seen that one before, but it's pretty cool shark truck up in person. And Bernard Light is the one wheeling that Monster Jam truck this weekend. And, He'll be showing you guys how to do some backflips off the tires. Like, this dude is awesome, and he's a great driver as well. But, yeah, man, there's so many awesome, amazing Monster Jam trucks, and I drive Soldier 14. We represent the military. And uh, so it's it's been pretty awesome, man. Caleb Blood with us again. Monster Jam coming out uh, starting tonight at the Thomas and Mac here in Vegas. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong here. You were in uh, MMA before you got into driving monster trucks? Yep, so I did a little bit of MMA. I did some boxing when I was in college, and uh, after life went on, the next chapter of my life, I decided to get into some combatives, and uh, it ended up being MMA. And so I was in the cage for about two or three fights, and that's where that kind of ended. But like I said, it, it was fun, and uh, it was just something that I enjoyed doing and just being competitive and getting in the cage is definitely an adrenaline rush, if you can only imagine. <laughs> All right, I got to know, did you have brothers growing up? I did not. Wow, I had two okay. Sisters. But when I tell you we ran the entire neighborhood, nobody <laughs> messed with us. <laughs> so so we, grew up, we grew up pretty rugged. Like, we, we were tomboys growing up, but... Yeah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> so, of course, because we have you on, we do our research, and which means we pretty much just stock your social media profiles and we look for things. Uh, your husband is also a driver, is that correct? Yes, yeah, so Blake Granger, he drives Maximum Destruction. And, uh, yeah, so he's been driving for about four or five years now, I want to say. And uh, so to be able to have him, we were actually on tour together before, so that was pretty cool competing against him. So, yeah, man. So that's kind of what I wanted to go down. What's that dynamic like? Because I will tell you this, it is nowhere near the levels of competition, but when I whoop my wife at Street Fighter and Tekken, <laughs> she can't handle it, and so I wonder what the comp- like the competitive nature is like between you two when you get to these sort of events. Oh, man, we're definitely very competitive. No matter if we're, like, cooking dinner, we can do it better, you know? Like, <laughs> we're very competitive no matter what we do, but when we were out on, there, out on the track, you know, we used to do the triple threat competition and race the ATVs against each other, well, there'd be some beating and banging on the ATVs, you know, and that's never ended well if I didn't win. So, uh, Do you guys talk about it afterwards, or is it, nope, we're, we did it, we're done, we're, we're not talking about work anymore? I mean, yeah, like you said, it's a hit or miss. We're going to talk about it and get it over with, and then we're just going to leave it in the track, leave it on the track. <laughs> well, she is Caleb Blood, again, the driver of Soldier Fortune, Monster Jam at Thomas and Max, starting tonight and running throughout the weekend. Kayla, we appreciate your time this morning. Absolutely. Thank you, guys, and I can't wait to rock it out for Vegas. So there is Kayla Blood, and again, July 22nd, 23rd, and 24th at the Thomas and Mac. 
think I'm going to take my kid out tonight, actually. Are you? He So he likes, he actually has a Gravedigger truck, like a toy and everything yeah. like that, but he's not a fan of loud noises, so I'm going to have to give him like those. Oh, know, the headphones. Yeah, the headphones, the nose, the noise blocking headphones. My uh, 30-year-old fiance is also not a fan of loud noises. She wears little earplugs to pretty much any loud event she goes to. <laughs> All right. Once I you mean, reach a certain age, get over it. <laughs> I mean, I also believe she goes to baseball games and reads a book. She does. She does do that. She doesn't like That's baseball. Dangerous. Yeah, she doesn't like baseball. I mean, like, my wife doesn't like baseball, but, like, she, on the TV, like, we actually, when we went to San Diego a couple of weeks back, she was super into, like, the game because we were there, right? The environment's a little bit different. I got her a beer bat over at the Padres <laughs> Park, which is absolutely fantastic. I also did it on purpose because she ordered a small beer, and then she turned around, and I told the lady, no, nah, give her the bat. Come on. <laughs> and, and, I, and I wanted the bat anyway. Uh, but, like, in person, it's a little different. I can understand baseball being boring on TV, but reading she, a book she's, is a game, she's, huh? She loves basketball, Good. hockey, soccer. It's a waste of money. Baseball, she's not not a why fan would you of Why would you bring her? It's a waste of money. I mean, well, last he year, likes her. He yeah. likes spending time with her. I get that, but she's reading a book. You're paying like it's $80 for these tickets, depending on where you're going. She doesn't like want me to go alone. She's afraid that like something will happen. Like... Four or five, uh, like, I will say that that what have you heard? Have you heard him talk? Tyler, He's gonna is, get punched. Is Tyler aggressive? Like like four or five years ago, we went to Seattle with her parents uh, for on a vacation, and one night we didn't have like there was nothing planned. So like five o'clock, we got back, and it was like, well, we're not doing anything. I was like, well, I'm gonna go to the Mariners game because the Mariners are playing, and I'd rather do that. And she didn't want to. She doesn't like baseball, but I was like, I'm gonna go. So she's like, well, I'll come with you. So she came with me. We bought. Cheaps tickets, but she came with me and read a well, book. Then, yeah. And then you couldn't get belligerent and get into fights, which apparently it sounds like you do. I don't do that. I think she's more worried I'm going to faint. Have you heard about my fainting? No, I have not. Yeah, I faint. I fainted not. twice in my life. Oh. It was not a great experience. It's not. Like the tunnel thing, you know, like your, your vision gets tight, and then all of a sudden I'm looking at the underside of a door, even though I was standing like two seconds earlier. <laughs> it was crazy. Uh, one other thing on Monster Jam, I actually have a little remote control Megalodon truck. Really? Because our dog, I had to put him down earlier this year, but our dog. I don't, know, um, I don't know why you tell us that. Just bring the room down. Loved chasing this thing. Like we, we went to a park by our house and there was a kid out there with this Megalodon truck just driving it around and our dog took off chasing it and the kid loved it. The kid yeah. was like, how long can your dog stay? I was like a French bulldog. If he runs too long. This isn't going to be good. But, like, we went and immediately bought that thing yeah. and took him to the park, and he just chased the hell out of it. I mean, like I said, like, for me as a kid, at least, I actually was into the monster trucks a little bit. And there is there is, there's a beautiful artistry to watching trucks? a giant truck smash <laughs> a frame of a little, tiny little sedan that's painted lime green. Totally down with it. All right, we got tickets to give away. ZZ Top is coming to Las Vegas in December, December 3rd through the 10th. We've got a pair of tickets to go see ZZ Top at the Venetian. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. You want a pair of tickets to go see ZZ Top at the Venetian in December. 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number 11. Left side, will it get through? It's backhanded, and nobody's at second base. That's where Connor Falefa threw it. No one was there, and the Astros win it as Bregman scores. 3-2 to two the final. J.J. Matichevic, the hero. All of the sun, none of the fun on the Press Box Summer Edition. Astros swept the Yankees in a doubleheader yesterday. The Yankees hit 150 this year in seven games against the Astros, the worst they have ever hit against a single team in a single season in Yankees history. It irritates me beyond belief. 
Being a, being the fan of a franchise who cannot develop a pitcher to save their lives, <laughs> and then to watch like this is no like this is no slight to them, but to watch from like not from excuse me, uh, Jose Urquidy and <laughs> Luis, like all these guys who you're just like, who's this guy? They signed He's... four guys, uh, ones from Mexico, two are from the Dominican, and ones from Venezuela. Mm-hmm. For all of them, for between ten and twenty thousand dollars as you know international free agents and all four are now above average to all-star level starting pitchers right it's phenomenal it, it is they, and but that's that's also development right like you see you get an eye for it you also have to do something with it so i can't wait Perry manassi and not this last draft but the draft before that the angels used every single one of their draft picks on a pitcher can't can't wait for none of them to pan out <laughs> so 538 had a story that was titled how this angel season went straight to hell. Um, the Angels started 27 and 17. They went 12 and 36 after that up until the all-star break. Um, according to the story, the angels have the biggest first half collapse of any team that won at least 25 of their first 44 games, Oh yeah, which is you're certainly reaching to create that stat, but it's a good illustration of how poorly and how quickly it turned for the angels and they had a quote in there from Phil Nevin. Who's now the, what is he? The second manager, third man. He got suspended. They had to go to the third manager yeah, at one yeah. point. So Nevin's the, Nevin's their, in, their actual interim back manager. to the second. Yeah. 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 There's a quote in there about him saying that he like still believes the 27 and 17 teams still exist in there. Um, I mean, physically, I guess. <laughs> the, <laughs> well, not the physically names on the <laughs> roster. are <laughs> Stones out and Trout's right. So not physically um, as an angels fan. Do you believe that 27 and 17 team is actually in there? Of course not. <laughs> because also, like, we had to realize, too, is when you watched what happened in the first half of the season, they had a very, very light schedule to start the year, right? That allowed them to get to 27 and 17. Like, uh, the A's, the Rangers that allowed them to get up there, uh, the Guardians, they went on, I think, part of, uh, like, their, they had, I think, a six-game win streak. It was series against Baltimore, Cleveland, and the White Sox. Right, they went into a series with the Boston uh, Red Sox, and then when this is the thing too, as an Angels fan, right? Because I was excited. They were twenty-seven and seventeen. You want to laugh, by the way, Jared, at my Colts bet? Guess who's got a twenty-five oh, to one ticket on the Angels man. to win the World Series? Right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> when did you place that? Um, you know, it might have been when, when they, they were Texas. I was going to say when they were twenty-seven to seventeen. <laughs> but like even then, so but as an Angels fan, that fourteen-game losing streak that they went on, whatever it was. I had that circled because that's when the schedule got tough. And that's when they were taking on opponents that were going to be playoff contenders. And you were like, okay, how do they handle this stretch of baseball? They did not handle it well in any way, shape, or form. And they got absolutely destroyed. And it, like it was, it, it, in a sense, you can kind of see it coming. Because one, if you looked at some of the underlying numbers for some of their pitchers, they were getting pretty lucky. Like their batting average on balls in play with runners in scoring position was like 102. It was ridiculous, right? Uh, nowhere Syndergaard, you can kind of see if fastball is not there, but he's getting kind of lucky. Like, there were things that you could see that there was some regression coming to this extent. I did not expect. And then you looked at the rest of their lineup. Like at one point, Brandon Marsh was hitting like 260, and you're like, okay, maybe that sticks, but probably not. That's not really going to be the case. Trout, you hope he stays healthy. That has not been the case. Anthony Rendon has not been any good, even when he's been out there. And that's kind of what happened when it all fell apart. So, like, you again. Did you see it coming? Yes. To this extent where they're just not even competitive anymore and it's Otani and a bunch of dudes, like kind of like it was at the one point last year. I didn't see it this coming getting this bad. You know is, what I mean? Is the stat still true that like their last 13 or 14 games, the only times they've won is when Otani's pitched? Yes. 
Okay, that's a great stat. <laughs> so it's yeah, I think they're I think they might have like one or two in there. Um, they might have like one win that Otani did not start uh, because and like that's the thing. Like if you look at their pitching, Otani is obviously their ace at this point right now. Uh, but there are other things to like about this. Like Patrick Sandoval has been really solid for them. He's got a three flat ERA, and his metrics tell you that he's a really solid pitcher. But then outside of that, it's like eh, absolutely nothing. So. Sandoval gives you your best shot outside of Otani, but it has been a high rate of winning when Otani pitches and nobody else. Do you believe Otani signs another contract with the Angels? I would say no. Why would he? Because <laughs> and, and, and by all indications, he wants to stay on the West Coast, right? Think about all of the options for him on the West Coast. San Diego, the Dodgers. I mean, that's a Dodger signing all over it, right? I mean, the the uh, the seven teams, according to Bob Nightingale, that are interested in Juan Soto, three of them are in California. Padres, mm-hmm. Dodgers, and um, Giants. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he wants to stay in California. Yep. There's probably three teams that would be willing to spend the money to do so. The Giants might be one of those teams, too, right? Like, I think he just wants to stay on the West Coast from everything you read, so that would probably be the case. And, like, again, if you're if you're Otani and – that's the other part about what irritates you about the Angels is every single year in the offseason, it is buy low on a guy and hope he pans out. This year it was Noah Syndergaard, the Band-Aid, right? The one-year deal to potentially get it. We can go in years past Matt, uh, uh, Matt Harvey, right? They go get Jose Quintana. Like, they don't want to break the bank for pitching, but they'll overspend on position guys like Anthony Rendon who give them absolutely nothing over the length of a contract. I'm trying to remember from something we talked about a couple weeks ago, I believe – Going back as far as 2000, the Angels have been top 11 in payroll every single season. Mm-hmm. And obviously, they had the World Series in there in the early 2000s. But 2002, like, baby. Since then, it's been, Got a, lot of, been a lot of nothing. And yet they're still top 10 pretty much every single year. Think of the contracts you can list off, like CJ Wilson, uh, Josh Hamilton, Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols. Like what a, a great contract. Uh, right. Over and over. That's what they do. <laughs> uh, who trades for Juan Soto? The Padres. The Padres. Yeah. I don't think anybody trades for him this deadline. I don't think so. I think this, I just is, wanted to I think this is this offseason move for the Nationals. Tell you what, in the offseason, there's an outfielder that has an injury history that's in the middle of a career year that the Angels are just dying to overpay for. Aaron Judge, I can't <laughs> wait for you to be an Angel. <laughs> if Aaron Judge signs a massive deal and immediately sucks with the Angels, oh, I'll be I'll be oh. a little excited. At, how old fun. is he? Is it he, he's, he's like, twenty? He's, 29, yeah, something like that. All right, so, so it's got to be like a 15-year oh, deal, yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. Sign, so lock like, him up until he's 43. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's 30. No, he's 30. He's 30. Oh, okay, yeah. so it's got to be a 12-year. It's, it's exactly what the angel, what would happen with the Angels. I'm telling you. 15-year <laughs> deal, and he sucks by year two. Maybe month two of that contract. <laughs> yeah. It'll be great. I love the Angels. love being an Astros fan with the Angels around. It's a great, great team.